Well, friends, we are entering new territory here together, aren't we? Um, my name's Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho. And whether you're here in person or whether you're joining us on uh, the live stream, we want to welcome you. And uh, say to those of you who are joining us on the live stream, this is new for us. And so we're working it out as we go, and uh, we appreciate your patience with that. We actually were not supposed to be able to live stream. As part of our uh, facility renovation, we had anticipated that, but it had been uh, maybe a couple of weeks or months from now, and then this week there was a cancellation, and the installer said, hey, can we come Friday and do it? And we're like, that would work for us. So we, they were here all day Friday, and Brady and a group of people were here all day Saturday working to get this operational, and so I just wanted to uh, express some gratitude uh, for those that made this possible for us, and we'll keep working it out as we go along, so I appreciate uh, your patience in that. Um, as we move into our teaching time this morning, I want to ask you a question, and that is, what do you think are the, is a phrase that appears most in the Bible? What is the most common instruction in the Bible. Now, when I ask people this, a lot of people will say, it's probably thou shalt not. <laughs> um, because maybe God has a lot of ideas about what people shouldn't do. But if you trace the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, the most common phrase in the Bible is actually, do not be afraid. It appears 365 times in many, many examples and instances all through the Scripture. It's an incredible reminder to us. And here at Jericho, we've been working through uh, the Gospel of Mark. And in Mark's Gospel, it appears two significant times. And so we're going to focus on those this morning. And one is in Mark chapter 4. And in Mark chapter 4, there's an account of people who are not just afraid, they're terrified. And Jesus is with them, and Jesus speaks to them. And we're going to begin to look together and learn together from what we can from the passage in Mark chapter 4, what to think and how to engage with others when we're caught up in moments of panic and fear. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus begins his earthly ministry in the first century in Judea. And we see him already healing people. In Mark chapter 1, the text says, Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases. He cast out many demons. Jesus has compassion on a person with leprosy and heals the man. In chapter 2, he's going for worship. And there's a man whose hand is deformed. And Jesus says, stretch out your hand. And Jesus heals him. There's a man who's paralyzed. And Pastor Wally reminded us about the man who was then let down by his friends into a hole in the roof in front of Jesus. And Jesus says, take up your mat walk and heals the man's physical infirmities. And so Jesus has already made a regular practice of healing. 
And in chapter 3, Jesus encounters the demonic and takes authority over it and casts a demon out of a man. And so you can imagine that this combination of having incredible authority and having a healing ministry makes Jesus very, very popular. People who are sick are not interested in practicing social distancing from Jesus. Mark 3.10 says, people eagerly, the sick eagerly pushed forward to touch Jesus. And so in Mark chapter 4, after a full day of teaching and healing, Jesus says to the disciples in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, as evening came, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and they started out, leaving the crowds behind them. Other boats also followed. But soon, a fierce storm came up and high waves were breaking into the boat and the boat began to fill with water. You know those times in your life where you start into something and it seems okay when you get started into it, but at some point you begin to think to yourself, maybe this was not such a great idea after all. Maybe it's a wintry drive over a mountain pass with not so great tires. And you start out from hope and you're getting elevation. You're like, no, I'm going to be okay. And then you get to the snow shed and the coca and you're like, no, this was a bad idea. We should turn around. Maybe you think to yourself, I'll just duck into the grocery store for a few things this week. And midway through it occurs to you, I'm going to be here a while. <laughs> or in this instance, it's an attempt by seasoned fishermen to cross a lake. A lake that they had sailed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. But on this instance, a fierce storm comes up. And high waves are breaking into the boat, and the boat is starting to fill with water. The famous Dutch painter Rembrandt depicts the scene in his work, The Storm on the Sea of Galilee. And he's got these seasoned sailors holding on for dear life. And what's Jesus doing in the midst of all of this? Look with me at Mark chapter 4, verse 38. It says this, Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him, saying, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind, he rebuked the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly, the wind stopped and there was a great Now, psychologists tell us that fear is an attitude or a disposition 
of anxiety, of anxiety or distress caused by concern over a threat to one's present or future well-being. When we experience something we don't know what it's going to do to us, it's natural on a human level to be afraid. When we bump up against something that's unknowable, something that's unfamiliar, something that's unpredictable, a very human response is to be afraid. And in that boat, these sailors did the risk assessment. And they said, all right, the boat is now beginning to fill with water. That's a problem for us. The storm is fierce. They're afraid for their physical safety. They want what we all would want if we were crossing a lake. Calm, smooth waters. No waves to dump any water into our boat. But Jesus' response, particularly if you're unfamiliar with Jesus and how Jesus engages with people, Jesus' response is puzzling. The text says he gets up, but he doesn't actually answer any of their questions. They're saying, Jesus, Jesus, aren't you afraid we're going to drown? And he doesn't take time that we know of to explain why he was sleeping, how in the world he could sleep through a storm that was dumping amounts of water into the boat that seasoned sailors were afraid for their lives, why he was hogging the good cushion in the back of the boat in the first place. And these sailors are terrified. And Jesus doesn't even address them. He actually addresses the wind and the waves. Just like when Jesus spoke to the demonic and took authority over it, just like Jesus made sick people well, Jesus speaks to the created order, to the wind and to the waves, and he commands them to be silent, to be still. And suddenly, the wind stops. The sea is calm. And at that time, Jesus turns to his boating companions. And we're early in the story of Jesus and his disciples. So his disciples are still learning what it means to follow Jesus. And Jesus asks them a very strange question. His question is, why are you afraid? Now, if I'm the disciples in that boat, I have a very long list of why I'm afraid, which I've already tried to explain to newly woke up Jesus. There's water coming into the boat. We're going to drown. What do you mean, why are you afraid? 
Fear, remember, is an attitude or state of distress caused by concern over a threat to one's present or future well-being. So, why are you afraid? Uh, there's the whole we're going to drown thing. But now, if I'm in the boat, I have a new location for my fear. And if you look at this, it's actually not a past tense question. Why were you afraid? It is a present tense question. Why are you afraid? Look at the text, Mark 4, verses 40 and 41. Then Jesus asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples, their fear had not abated. The disciples actually were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. See, fear is often stoked and prompted by the unknown. The sense that we are powerless against things that are assailing us. Things that we do not understand. Things that are outside of the realm of our personal control. The disciples are afraid of the storm. Absolutely, that's clear. But storms are one thing. To a seasoned sailor, a storm has, yes, definitely a terrorizing element to it, but it's an understood element. You know what causes a storm. There's waves, there's wind. At some point, it's going to either sink you or you're going to be okay. But then there's what just happened in the boat. The one that they call teacher. Rabbi. The one that they have left their previous occupations and homes to follow and pattern their lives after has now taken authority not just over the sick, not just over the demonic, but over wind and over waves. And so the disciples' focus now shifts. It's not on the storm. I wonder if the storm is actually even become a distant memory for them. It shifts now to the man in the boat with them. See, Jesus again does not say, why were you afraid? He says, why are you afraid? They were afraid because their physical safety was at risk. The unpredictability was outside of the boat. Now they're afraid because the unpredictability is actually right in the boat with them. And so 
I have to say that it annoys me pastorally that this account is sometimes used with a trite kind of simplicity. Sometimes Jesus calms the storm and sometimes he calms his child, which is true, but can be a little bit reductionistic. So don't hear what I'm not saying. That is not actually how this thing goes down. Jesus calms the storm, but his children in the boat with him are now more amped up than they were before. The storm goes away. The fear does not go away. In fact, it increases. The disciples go from being afraid of something out there to being terrified and puzzled about the one who is in the boat with them. Because the thing about being in the boat with Jesus, for them or for you, is that you actually don't know what's going to come next. Life with Jesus is always unpredictable. And friends, if there's anything we can say about the season that we find ourselves in, the moment in time that as a global community and as a local faith community and as an individual that you find yourself in, it is that we do not know what is coming next. And whenever that comes into our lives, there is a level of understandable fear that comes from that. Because if I don't know what's next, it's very disruptive to my life. I can't make plans with a level of understanding as to how they're going to unfold. And disruptiveness and anxiety when we don't know what the future holds can cripple us. And sometimes, in a time of crisis, definitely cripples us. And in moments of crisis, sometimes people think about faith and about God and about religion. And sometimes it ends up that they treat Jesus a little bit like a personal life preserver. Oh, I'm in the middle of a storm, so I should put this on. I can... I'm going to put on a little Jesus so I can stay safe if it gets too stormy around me. But the world, friends, is not, never has been, and never will be a predictable place. Jesus reminded us of that regularly, that we do not know what the future holds. James reminded us of that saying if you say you're going to go here and do this and do that tomorrow you don't know that you don't know you don't know and so the role of faith the role of sticking close to Jesus is not so that we can have some kind of magical protection from the unknown that's not how this works a life of faith, a connection with Jesus and with others actually gives us courage 
to live into the unknown. And for me, that's the thing that strikes me most about this text, that as people of faith living in uncertain times, we are called to live into and to embrace uncertainty. It's just how life is, always has been, and always will be. Author and popular speaker Brene Brown talks about her own journey and has written extensively about her journey back to faith as an adult. She talks about how when she was growing up, she thought about faith in kind of magical thinking terms. But in a recent interview, she said this, I went back to church thinking it would be like an epidural, like it would just an injection to take the pain away. And church would make my pain dissipate. But she says this, faith was not an epidural for me at all. Faith was more like a midwife who just stood next to me saying, push, this is supposed to hurt a little bit. And she says that was a completely new experience for her. In her writings, she speaks of faith, not giving her all of the answers, but a sense of ability to embrace uncertainty. Listen to this quote. Faith is a place of mystery where we find the courage to believe in what we cannot see and the strength to let go of our fear of uncertainty. See, I think this is why God has to tell us 365 times in the Bible, do not be afraid. There are just so many things in my life and in your life and in our world that can create fear in our hearts. And not the least of which is uncertainty. We're living in unpredictable times. Let's not kid ourselves about that. But let's also not kid ourselves that somehow we have less control over the future now than we have ever had or will ever had. We need the strength to let go of our fear of uncertainty. Our lives have always had fragility to them. You don't know. You don't know if or when a medical diagnosis is coming your way that's good news or bad news. We don't know and cannot control as parents the choices that our kids make or made. We don't know how the housing market or the stock market or the job market will perform in two months, in two weeks, or in two minutes from now. We don't know. And if we get in, we don't know whether you'll get into that program that you applied for, whether you'll graduate, we don't know. We don't know whether you'll make it home from work on any given day. And if we're honest with ourselves and we're honest with uncertainty, 
it's very natural for fear to accompany that honesty. It, it bubbles up from the depths of our soul when we get quiet enough to pay attention. And we can tell ourselves all kinds of things about fear. We can say, oh, fear's a liar, you know, and sometimes that's true. We can tell ourselves, just grin and bear it, we're going to be okay. And sometimes that's wise and right and good. But again, I think the reason, one of the reasons God had to tell us 365 times in the scripture, do not be afraid, is just when we think we've moved past a place of fear, it comes and grips us again. Just when we think we've reduced the level of unpredictability in our lives sufficiently so we can move forward, sometimes something comes along and disrupts that. And the level of unpredictability goes up not down. In Mark chapter 10, after the disciples have journeyed with Jesus for several years, Jesus is walking the road to the cross. And with his disciples, there's a crowd following behind him. And there's an interesting verse in Mark's gospel where Mark actually makes a little bit of a comment for us to understand the difference between what the disciples have learned as they've journeyed with Jesus and what the crowd has yet to discover. See if you can catch it from Mark chapter 10, verse 32. They were now on their way up to Jerusalem. Jesus was walking ahead of them. And the disciples were filled with awe, but the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Interesting, isn't it? In that group, just like in your life, just like in your home, just like in your workplace, your circle of influence, there are many people who are overwhelmed with fear. And Jesus uses this moment in Mark chapter 10 to teach those who follow him that their job is not simply to pontificate about how wonderful it is to walk with Jesus all of these years and how walking with Jesus has just been nothing but awesome for them. Remember, they are on a journey that Jesus explains to them will cost not only him his life, but ultimately ends up costing all of them their lives as well. And in the midst of that, in Mark 10, 42, Jesus reminds them, hey, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Your job as a person of faith in a time of crisis, like the time we find ourselves in, is not to be served, but to serve. Your job is to help those who are overwhelmed by fear, not to be amongst those who are overwhelmed by fear, but to walk with Jesus into what we have always known as the unknown.
someone should just sing a Frozen 2 reference there. Into the unknown. That is your job. To step into those places where the crowd is overwhelmed. But the disciples have been with Jesus and they're in a place of awe of what Jesus can do and has done in their lives and in the world. And so they've moved past that place in the boat. They've moved past being terrified. Their eyes have become fixed on something different. They have learned to pattern their lives after Jesus. And so they are amongst those who are filled with awe at the goodness and the power and the grace of God. They are not anymore amongst those who hang back and are overwhelmed with fear. Friends, there are so many practical ways that you and I can step into those places of helping those who are overwhelmed with fear in this time. Ask yourself, are there practical needs that need to be met? People around you. There's a tenderness. There's, there's an openness. Be those people who step into those places and help. Be those people who ask and inquire and think not just of your own self and safety, but the people around you in your neighborhood. Practice hospitality. Open up your home for those who need a place to process their anxiety. Let people know, hey, you can text me. You can call me. I'm here for you. And then think of people that need encouragement. We have many people here at Jericho who work in the healthcare profession. This is a stressful time for them. Encourage them. We have many people who are small business owners. In reach out to them. Let them know you're caring for them, praying for them. If your plans got canceled or upended this spring break, like our Guadalajara, like Matthew, among those who sit with that and say, all right, God, I have a gift of time that I did not anticipate that I would have. What would you like me to do with it? Where are the people and the things that you need to be about this week? See, as we pay attention to what it is that God is inviting us into this season, some of that will take us to places of risk places that are unknown, places that are unknowable. And that's going to be new for some of us. It's a step outside of comfort zones because we like control and we like particularly as North Americans safety. And I'm, it's an intriguing thing to watch what's going on not only in our own lives and souls but in our culture as well some of our idols, some of our patterns of thinking, some of the things that we place our trust and hope and confidence in are getting exposed in new ways and it's uncomfortable and it feels very unsafe for us. Jared and the team are coming and they're going to lead us in some songs of worship and response as they do. One of the pictures that has emerged in my mind in this week is from C.S. Lewis's 
book, the Chronicles of Narnia. And in the Chronicles of Narnia, if you're familiar with them, the Jesus figure is Aslan, the lion. And at one point, one of the children, Lucy, asks the beavers, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, if Aslan the lion is safe. And the beaver's response is a telling one. Safe? Oh, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. Friends, following Jesus is anything but safe. It's unpredictable. It's disruptive. It's messy, and it's complicated and hard. But I'm here to tell you what I have found to be true and what I know so many people at Jericho Ridge have found to be true. It is good because God is good. God is not safe. But God is good. Because even in the midst of the wind, in the midst of the waves, when you feel like you are sinking in personal challenges and global pandemics, he's the king, I tell you. And because you're in a relationship with Jesus, faith is not about you gaining some kind of certainty about the future or mastery of it. It's about learning to live into the courage to live with uncertainty and to love others well in the midst of it. And if you and I can do that in little ways and in big ways, each day, we're not going to get consumed with anxiety. We're not going to spend all of our energy on ourselves, but we will be able to experience God's promise of life with Jesus. Would you if you're in the room, stand with me, and I'm going to read over you some of the promises of God in the scriptures about fear and what to do. Psalm 112 says this, Light shines in the darkness for the godly because they are generous, compassionate, and righteousness. Such people will not be overcome by evil. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them because they are confident and because they are fearless. Psalm 112, verses 4 and 8. Or Psalm 34, verse 4. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all of my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. And finally, Isaiah 41, verse 10. Do not be afraid. For, says the Lord, I am with you. Do not be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. This is the word of the Lord.
thanks be to God.